We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Sermons with Rabbi David Seth Kirchner, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Of all the times in history that each of us in this room could have been born, we happen to be the very luckiest of the lot. We are fortunate to live in either a time period or a period of inherited memory of perhaps the most eventful things to occur to the Jewish people in all of our history. In our lifetime, or in the orbit of our lifetime, we have witnessed the very worst thing to ever happen in the series of tragedies, misfortunes, and attacks against the Jewish people, the Shoah. Six million of our sisters and mothers, of our brothers and fathers were uprooted from their home. They were stripped of their clothing, of their possessions, of their dignity. And six million of the Jewish population in Europe, two-thirds of the Jewish population in Europe, were stripped of their lives as well. In 1948, three short years after the terrible events in Eastern Europe, in a messianic-like dream of redemption, something occurred before our very eyes, and some of you in this room might even remember it well. It was the founding of the State of Israel. It was a Friday afternoon, one day before the British mandate was set to expire, Three o'clock and Moshe, David Ben-Gurion, excuse me, stood up to the microphone and declared a Jewish state that will be known as the state of Israel. 19 years after that, the city of Jerusalem was reunified in its entirety. For my grandmother, a blessed memory, it was a holy moment. I remember being 16 years old and telling my grandmother that I was going off to study for a year in Israel. My grandmother, who was sharp as a tack, but not as agile as she used to be, was in her mid-80s. She started to well up with tears. She didn't say a word, but my grandmother devoted her entire life to the Jewish community and the foundation of the state of Israel. And what those tears translated to me, who understood my grandmother very well and was blessed to spend much time with her, those tears said to me that you, you, David, my grandson, will be tasting the nectar, the fruits from which I help plant seeds But more than that, you're going to be experiencing something that I only thought was a miracle, something that was messianic and beyond belief. Because for her life 
and for her parents' life and her grandparents' life, and for 2,000 years of our lives, we ended Yom Kippur and we ended the Passover Seder, these two bookends of the year, with the same words, L'shana habab Yerushalayim, next year in Jerusalem. It was messianic insofar it's like when we chant in the Amidah, Mechayeh HaMetim, it brings the dead back to life. We could be poetic and offer homilies as to what it means, but the idea that the dead would actually rise and come back to us is unthinkable. And to their generation, so was the idea of spending next year in Jerusalem and what is a Jewish homeland. This happened in the orbit of our lifetime. These two juxtaposing events these two events which have shaped the Jewish world, I would say as much as anything since the time of Sinai. Since the time that Moses and Miriam and Aaron stood at the foot of Mount Sinai and received the Torah, those three events were the, I would argue, most important shaping events for the collective history of the Jewish people. But for each of us individually, one of those events weighs a little more than the other two. One of my teachers of blessed memory, David Hartman, he used to ask people, he was very provocative and he would ask provocative questions. He'd say, where is your Judaism from? And most people wouldn't know how to answer. Well, Rabbi Hartman, my family's from Russia, or my family's from Spain. And he'd say, no, no, no. Where is your Judaism from? He says, oh, I was trained at the Jewish Theological Seminary or Hebrew Union College. And he would say, no, 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 no. Where is your Judaism from? And then finally, they would have the courage to say, I don't understand your question. And he would say, are you an Auschwitz Jew? Or are you a Sinai Jew? Are you Jewish because of the events that happened to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai? Or are you Jewish today because of the events that happened to the Jewish people in Eastern Europe? And I, David Kirshner, would add, are you Jewish today because of the events that happened in Lake Success, New York on November 29, 1947, when the United Nations decided to partition the British Mandate strip of land into two states for two people, which later became the Jewish state known as Israel? All of us have some part of those pieces of history that weighs just a little bit more on the scale. And if we were to say that we're equal parts of each, I'll buy it insofar as yes, 33, 33, 33, but that doesn't total 100. One of them is 34%. One of them in each of us weighs a little more. So I want you to think in your head for a moment. When you think about your Judaism, and you think about who you are as a Jew, and you think about what shapes you as a Jew, and you think about the Judaism that you hope to transcend and to share with your children and their children and children after that, so that when they talk about you generations from now, you will say how you infuse Judaism to them. Do you want to be known as a Jew who was shaped by Sinai, by Auschwitz, or by Lake Success. To put a little bit more color in there, let me give you some ingredients of what a Sinai Jew might think and say. A Sinai Jew sees us all bound 
by a common history. A Sinai Jew sees us all bound by a common law. And that law both prescribes ways that we are supposed to behave in ritual and in morality. It is Sinai that tells us that Shabbat is a different day. It is Sinai that prescribes the calendar that we follow and adhere to. It is Sinai that gives us the pilgrimage festivals. It is Sinai that reminds us in Leviticus 19, Ahavta l'reacha to love our neighbors as we would love ourselves. It is Sinai that shapes our souls in a way that binds us to law, to behavior, and to moral reflex. An Auschwitz Jew is different. An Auschwitz Jew teaches us that we are targeted as a people. And we are targeted as a people not because of a particular teaching, not because of a particular moment in history, and we are targeted as a people not because of a particular space, because we were targeted in Russia, in Spain, in Eastern Europe before we even had a homeland of Israel. We are targeted simply because we wear the title Jew, male or female, religious or not religious. Whatever our particular view is, because we share a common DNA of Jew, we are targeted. And that makes us victims and a posture of victims. And for many people today who they are as Jews, and especially with the recent uptick in anti-Semitism, puts them into a very familiar posture of what it is to be an Auschwitz Jew, someone who feels that they are again carrying on the legacy of historically being in the crosshairs of the other, of feeling inferior, of feeling worried, threatened, and vulnerable. Or perhaps that Auschwitz Judaism infuses and inspires what I call a lake success Jew, a Jew that is intrinsically connected to the land and the people and the army of Israel. A land and a people that says, this is where our history is from. And a land and a history that says, never again. A land and a history that says, we will fuse together what we have always struggled with, a religion and a country, a people and a behavior. So I ask you, are you a Sinai Jew? Are you an Auschwitz Jew? Are you a Lake Success Jew? Let me offer just one more illustration for you. In your mind's eye of a picture of what these three might look like. A Sinai Jew, if I were to paint a portrait, might be an older man with a beard wearing talit and tefillin, praying in a stodgy study hall, pouring over old text and feeling some sense of connective tissue to our people. Who here in their 30s or 40s grew up in a home that their parents or grandparents had such a picture or depiction of that rabbi or Jew to demonstrate the connectivity to Sinai? Or maybe you're an Auschwitz Jew. What does that picture look like? 
To me, it looks like a young boy with his hands in the air, wearing tattered and torn clothes with a yellow star that is stitched over his heart. He's scared, frightened, he's vulnerable. That's the picture in my mind's eye. And the Lake Success Jew, the State of Israel Jew, the 1948 Jew, that is a boy on a Merkava Israeli-made tank wearing talit and tefillin and holding an M16, saying, we are strong, we are invincible, we are not vulnerable. So I ask you, what shapes your Judaism? Who are you and what are you about? This week, a peace plan was released by the administration to the state of Israel. There are many amazing things that are found within this peace plan. There are some things that feel like they are non-starters, some things that continue in a form of absolute frustration, and some people in particular who have absolutely dismissed the plan sight unseen. And I'm not only referring to the Palestinians, I'm referring to people in our own tribe who refuse to read it, look at it, accept it, or embrace it, or to only find fault within it. I would argue that for those that love it and for those that hate it, they would respectively say that they are Auschwitz Jews or that they are Sinai Jews. That the Auschwitz Jew and perhaps the Lake Success Jew says our vulnerability, our being targeted, our victimhood has demanded us these pieces of security and to move forward even without the partnership of another party. We must demand our safety as paramount. Whereas Sinai Jews will say, our teachings of the Torah that have shaped us and who we are today reminds us that if I ignore the plight of the other and the pursuit of my own freedom, I have abrogated the teachings of the Torah that is behind me. So which one is more right? Which one is a better Jew? Which one's definition should help shape the world that we share together or the land that we call the nation state of the Jewish people? And what is our job on this Shabbat that commemorates 75 years since the liberation of Auschwitz. Which path do we follow? How do we take equal parts Sinai, equal parts Auschwitz, and equal parts Lake Success to fuse these disparate and dissimilar feelings and emotions and history and use them as building blocks for what will be what happens tomorrow? Boy, I wish I had a simple answer for you, or for me for that matter. I have been wrestling with this question in the grand scope for 30 years and in detail for at least the last five, and I am more confused than ever before. There are times I find myself so firmly and deeply entrenched and rooted in the Sinai tradition that it dictates parts of my life that are in absolute contradiction to the history that I feel and absorb on all 15 of my trips to Poland, 
and in the camps that I have walked through with many of you in this room. They seem to be at odds with me and they seem to be at odds with so many of the Israeli people and passionate Zionists who are looking still to shape this raw clay that will be our homeland. And it feels so imperfect. So when I'm confused, whether it's around death or whether it's around something going on societally, I do what I have been trained to do, which is to turn back to our texts. And in doing so, I turn to a text from the end of the tractate of Masachet Sota, from the Talmud, where there is this beautiful agadic teaching, this story that tells us about certain people and the characteristics they possessed and what happened when they died. It teaches, Mishemet Rabban Yochanan Batla Chachma. Tanu Rabbanah, Mishemet Rabbi Eliezer, Nignaz Sefer Torah, Mishemet Rabbi Yoshua, Batla Eitzah, Machshava, Mishemet Rabbi Akiva, Batluz Roe Torah, Venis Tatmu, Mayanot Hachachma. This tells us that the Agada, the tradition in the end of Masechet Soda, relays the story that when Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai died, wisdom ceased to exist in the world. What that meant was that Rabbi Yochanan was so well known for the way in which he had wisdom that no one else could follow him, and it stopped living the way in which it did. Then says that when Rabbi Eliezer died, it was as if the Torah scroll had been interred because Rabbi Eliezer knew the Torah inside and out, and he would always expound using different pieces of the Torah as proof text. It then says that when Rabbi Yehoshua died, that counsel and deliberate thought ceased because this was his characteristic and trait. He was known as this person who always had these values and traits that he brought to discussions in the environment he was in. And when Rabbi Akiva died, the powerful arm of the Torah and exposition ceased to exist because Rabbi Akiva was known as the person who took the teachings of the Torah and spread it to the world. The Talmud then continues to list a whole host of different leaders, rabbis, and teachers, and explains to them that when they died, the characteristics that were unique and special to them ceased to exist in the world. Until the very end of the tractate, the very last words came along. It says, Rabbi Yosef came along, and he said to the author who was redacting all of these characteristics and traits and the death that were surrounding them, he said, Lo titne anava deika ana. And Amar le Rav Nachman Latana, Lo titne yirat chet deika ana. So Rabbi Yosef came to this anonymous author and he said, Hold on a minute. Don't say that this particular trait that was demonstrated by whomever whether it was Rabbi Eliezer, or Rabbi Akiva, or Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, or Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, do not say that they cease to exist in the world. Deika ana, which is Aramaic for I am here. Ika ana, I am here. And Rabbi Nachman came in and said, don't teach it on these other characteristics from these other characters. Deika ana because I am here. 
And what this piece of Talmud says so masterfully and brilliantly as a charge to you and to me in this room, 75 years later after the liberation of Auschwitz, after the worst atrocity to happen in the history of the Jewish people to the Jewish people, what it says to us 72 years after the founding of the state of Israel and 53 years after the reunification of Jerusalem and 10 minutes after the latest of God knows how many peace plans have been offered. What it tells us is stop looking backward only. Take what happened in the past, whether it be at Sinai, at Auschwitz, or at Lake Success, and fuse them together from the characters and the history and the moments and the opportunities and build the future that is worthy of your inheritance. But be a builder. De'ika ana. You are here. I am here. Those characteristics and qualities must be absorbed. And it says to you that you must be a Sinai Jew. You must absorb teaching, tradition, calendar, history, and make them part of who you are and your Yiddishkeit. And it says the same to you about Auschwitz. And it says the same to you about Lake Success. It says that these three disparate and different moments and feelings in history have to fuse together to give us the muscle, the strength, the vision, and the fortitude to say the words, the Ika Ana, that I am here, and we will shape with hard work, with grit, with elbow grease, the world that is worthy of our grandchildren and great-grandchildren looking back and saying, our parents and grandparents, what kind of Jews were they? They were in equal measure, Auschwitz, Sinai, and Lake Success. And they demonstrated those three and all that they did. May we be worthy of that blessing. Amen.